Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. My name is Matt Bowman, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Village Church, and just wanted to welcome you to this Advent season. We've been celebrating Advent here at the Village Church like we do every year, and this year we've called our Advent series Past, Present, and Future, where we look at the world before Christmas, during Christmas, and after Christmas. This morning we'll be looking at the world longing for Christmas, where we will examine the world as it existed before Jesus and how all people were longing for salvation that only Jesus can bring, and how this longing is a longing that we still experience today. Now, there are a lot of passages that we could look at this morning. The Christmas story is so familiar to us, I'm sure, that maybe sometimes you feel like, is there really anything new that I can get out of it? Don't we hear the Christmas story every year? But this morning, we're not actually going to look at the Christmas story proper. We're actually going to look at two events that happened after the Christmas story to get a sense of what people were longing for before the Christmas story. And I'll do my best to connect these events to, to what our deepest longings tell us about our need for Jesus. I've learned something since I became a dad seven years ago, and this fact becomes all the more clear every Christmas. What I've learned is this. People want weird things. In preparation for this sermon, I consulted the great Google, and I typed in best gifts of 2022. Here's a sample of what came up. The gravity 35-pound weighted blanket, because who doesn't like feeling trapped in the morning? People want weird things. The Invo Spa Shiatsu back and neck massager, because who doesn't like a massage while they drive? People want weird things. The Butcher Box gift collection steak box. This isn't weird, this is just awesome. I put this in here in case anyone is still wondering what to get Xavier for Christmas. And if X doesn't want it, I'll gladly take it. Back to the weirdness. The Hammocker fish catching remote control boat. Because a lazy sport just got lazier. <laughs> People want weird things. Can catch up to a two pound fish, if you were wondering. The Titleist Phantom X12 putter because a $20 putter, putter won't put the ball in the hole. The iPhone 14 Pro, because the iPhone 15 isn't out yet. But there's one weird thing I think that people want that takes the cake. I was 10 years old during the infamous Christmas of 1996, when there was fear and loathing and a toy shortage. Really, it was just one toy, specifically. 1996 is when this thing came out. And those who have small children, who had small children in 1996, see this picture and you cringe. This is Tickle Me Elmo. And I'm telling you, I didn't understand it in 1996, and I don't understand it now. These things were going for $1,500 in 1996, and Elmo is probably the only Muppet who can lay claim to the honor of actually inciting violence. 
I mean, even Oscar the Grouch never incited a riot. People want weird things. And people want weird things, especially at Christmas. Because Christmas is all about getting stuff, isn't it? Especially for kids. At least that's what we've made it. Christmas is all about fulfilling our desires, about filling our lives with things that we think will make us happy, things we think will make our children happy. Let me ask you an honest question. What did you get for Christmas last year? Maybe you can remember one or two things. What did you get for Christmas two years ago? Or three years ago? Do you remember anything you gave someone for Christmas last year? Or two years ago? Or three years ago? Did it make you happy? Does it still make you happy today? My guess is that the vast majority of us cannot name one gift gave or given a few years out. Because we've done a really good job of turning Christmas into a yearly injection of nostalgia and happiness. Not about everlasting happiness. Because when the neck massager breaks, and the boat sinks, and the iPhone breaks, and they will, what are you left with? People want weird things, all right, but those things don't last. And they certainly don't satisfy our deepest longings and desires. I think one of the things that Christmas does really well is that it exposes the shallowness of our longings and desires. Even if we want good things, we rarely focus on ultimate things. And this Bible story that we read this morning shows us something about longing for Christmas. We get a picture of what the world was like when Jesus was born. We read about two people who are mentioned nowhere else in the Bible, Simeon and Anna. And this morning, we're going to focus on Simeon and Anna and examine what they were longing for at Christmas. So let's read about Simeon starting in Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him that the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So much could be said about this wonderful passage, but I wanted to focus on just a few things this morning. Notice in verse 25 that it tells us what Simeon was waiting for, what he was longing for, the consolation or comfort of Israel. Simeon, we are told, was a righteous and devout man. Jesus' parents were devout as well because keeping with the Mosaic law of Leviticus 12, they brought their firstborn to the temple to offer the prescribed sacrifice. A lamb is what was usually offered, but in the case of poor families, two young pigeons were acceptable. As poor as they were, Mary and Joseph still wanted to keep the law. And we are told that the Holy Spirit somehow let Simeon know that he would, that he would see the Messiah and that Jesus was it. Now, we don't know what the Holy Spirit told Simeon. Was the Messiah going to deliver Israel from the Romans, as many thought later in Jesus' ministry? We get a clue from Simeon's song in verse 27. Look at it with me. 
And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Whoever this child was, Simeon's hope of comfort for Israel was realized. Not only that, this Messiah would be visible to all people. This child is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, non-Jews, and for glory to your people, Israel, Jews. This child is what everyone was looking for. He's the one who had been promised. We've been longing for comfort. We've been longing for revelation. And we keep longing for glory for our nation. We've been longing for God to do something and to keep his promise. And then he says, And Simeon blessed them and his mother, Mary. And he said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that this child was the Messiah. And Simeon chose to communicate something about what the Holy Spirit told him. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Once Simeon lays eyes on this child, he says, he is now ready to die, to depart in peace. He looked at Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise to his people, that it would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for Israel. How much Simeon knew is difficult to know, and it's probably not helpful to speculate, but Simeon fully expects Jesus to bring comfort and glory to Israel. But then Simeon's prophecy takes a different turn. He tells Mary that this child will be opposed, that he is appointed for the rising and fall of many in Israel, and that a sword will pierce her heart and her sons, so that the hearts of many may be revealed. How do you square those two things? How does this child bring comfort and salvation, but also be pierced and bring about the rise and fall of Israel? Apparently, the salvation Jesus brings involved more than just earthly deliverance. Simeon was looking for the comfort of his nation, his nation that was under the subjection of the Roman Empire, his nation that was continually oppressed. Based on what Simeon tells Mary, I think he quickly realizes that this child came to do more than he expected. I think Simeon realized that his longings were far too small for what God was going to do. What Simeon wanted was comfort and glory for his people. But what he got was the salvation for all people. Take a look at what Anna was longing for in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, 
from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, the child, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What was Anna longing for? Do you see it? She was this devout widow, a prophetess. She was always in the temple. And at the moment that Jesus was presented, she started to tell others about Jesus and what? Who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna and those around her recognized that this child was something special. Again, the Holy Spirit must have revealed this to her. This is why we're told that she was a prophetess. But her message is one that would encourage people who wanted Jerusalem redeemed, who wanted their city and their nation freed. This sounds a lot like Simeon's message. And I think it's wonderful that they were offering praise and glory to God for this child. But it also sounds like they didn't have the whole picture. It sounds like what they were expecting of Jesus was a little too small. The redemption of Jerusalem and the consolation of Israel. Jesus certainly did those things, but maybe not in the ways they expected. As far as comfort for Israel, in less than 70 years, Israel would be at war with Rome. As far as the redemption of Jerusalem, in less than 70 years, the city would be sacked and the temple would be destroyed. How's that for comfort and redemption? Well, maybe God has a bigger view of Israel than we do. Maybe not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, as Paul says. Maybe if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Maybe God's plan of redemption involves more than just one nation. Since we're on this side of the resurrection, I think it's easy for us to accuse Simeon and Anna of low expectations at Christmas. We know the rest of the story. But I don't think that makes us immune from low expectations at Christmas, or even low expectations of Jesus. How much of our longings and desires at Christmas are limited to just material things? A new putter, a new phone, a new back massager. How much of our longings and desires at Christmas are good things that we want for others? Getting the right gift for our kids. How much of our longings and desires at Christmas are immaterial things? Healing a broken relationship with a family member or reconciliation. Or maybe we're just longing for a new relationship to start. Or maybe we're longing for the health of a person we love. I think, especially around Christmas time, we allow ourselves to get away with low expectations. You might not remember a gift you got three or four years ago, but I bet you remember the gift you didn't get. I bet you remember the promotion you got passed up for. 
I bet you remember the disappointment you suffered. And I bet you remember how it felt to get your hopes up. To want something so badly and to feel like it was attainable and then lose it. So what do we do? We lower expectations, don't we? We don't like being let down. We don't like getting our hopes up. So we settle for less. And we settle for things at Christmas that will fill the longing in our hearts just long enough that we convince ourselves that everything is all right. We accept the cheap imitations of the wor- that the world offers because we don't think we can get what we truly desire. See, I don't really think you want that weighted blanket. What you really want is rest. I don't think you really want that putter. What you really want is acceptance. I don't think you really want that iPhone. What you really want is community. And I don't think that you really want that perfect toy for your child. What you really want is love. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you'll admit you never really wanted anything else. C.S. Lewis had some really helpful insights in this area of our longings and desires. This is from his famous sermon titled The Weight of Glory. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. I really want deep, meaningful, Christian community, but I dare not ask for it, because what if it doesn't happen? But I'll settle for an iPhone. I really want lasting, committed love in my family, but I dare not ask for it, because what if it doesn't happen? But I'll settle for getting my son one more plastic thing in a box. Church, are your longings at Christmas like mud pies in a slum, or are you asking God for the joy of a holiday at the sea? Simeon and Anna were longing for the comfort and redemption of their nation. But those things are mud pies compared to the salvation of their souls. How can you tell if you become content with mud pies? What can you use to gauge your desires? I think one of the things that gives a really good read on our desires and longings is how often we pray and what we pray for. Because let's be honest, if you want something big, you pray for it. What have you been asking for in prayer lately? Augustine said, 
When does prayer sleep? When desire grows cold. If your desires are so small that you don't need any help from God, why would you pray at all? I think Jesus is used to people missing it. The Bible seems to go out of its way to show that people didn't get the full picture. At the beginning of Luke's first volume, we have Simeon and Anna who didn't get the full story. Luke begins his second volume in Acts with the disciples not getting the full story. Even after Christ rose from the dead. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it goes on. This is so bad, it's like almost comical. He just rose from the dead. He told them repeatedly that this would happen, that he would give his life as a ransom for many. And the disciples are still worried about mud pies. They're still worried about their nation. And Jesus says, your expectations of me are far too small. You're asking for the restoration of your nation? How about this? How about God the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within you? Jesus is standing right there in front of them in a resurrected body, and they are still far too easily pleased. What are you expecting from Jesus this Christmas? Are you content with just another year? Just another family gathering, another holiday, another round of presents? Or are you longing for something bigger? Do you dare ask for the only thing that will satisfy your deepest longings of your soul? Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what does the woman say to him? Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come down here to draw water. She missed it. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've missed it. With what we've made Christmas, with what we've turned it into, that it doesn't satisfy the deepest longings of our souls and it won't bring lasting joy. Jesus didn't come to give us a few days off work or a little nostalgia and nice feelings at wintertime. He didn't come just to be a good moral teacher. He didn't come to overthrow corrupt religious systems. He didn't come to just install a more righteous government. Jesus came at Christmas church because we were alienated from God because of our sin. And only the God-man could pay the penalty for our sin and reconcile us to God so that in this age and in the age to come, we can experience everlasting joy in his presence. Christmas is the beginning of that mission.
Christmas leads to the cross. And deep down, I think we all know it. I think we all know that we're estranged from God, that something is wrong with us and the world, and that we can't make it right. Again, Lewis says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I, church, were made for another world. A world that only Jesus can give us. Jesus coming at Christmas was not about giving us what we want, but it was about giving us what we need. One more from Lewis. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. That doesn't mean the putter or the blanket won't make you happy. It will for a time. What Lewis meant was that those things can't make you eternally happy. They were not meant to. And that brings us to our good news this morning. Christmas is definitely a time that we get to celebrate the good news of Jesus' birth. This morning, our good news is Jesus came to fulfill our deepest longings, which is also our deepest need. But it actually gets better than that. You might ask, what could be better than that? What could be better than salvation, having our deepest longings and desires fulfilled in him? I think we all have a desire when we look at the world for it to be made right not just our own hearts to be made right. We look at Christmas and how Jesus satisfies our deepest desires at his first coming, at his first advent. But Jesus also promised that he would come again, that there would be a second advent. Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. For those who are longing for his appearing. Even the martyrs, we're told, are longing for that day. The martyrs cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they will each be given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. The second to last verse in the whole Bible looks forward to that day, longs for that day. He who testifies to these things says, surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Christmas is not just a time where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus. It's a time that we also get to expectantly look forward to the day when Jesus will come again. So my prayer... He is the answer to our deepest longings, and that because of that, we can look forward to the day when he comes again.
Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so thankful for your word, and we're so thankful for this time of year where we get to celebrate um, your first advent. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for everything that we've made Christmas um, that doesn't point our hearts to you. And Lord, I pray for myself, for us collectively, and for Christians around the world that this would be not a time filled with things that cannot satisfy, Lord, but we recognize that only you can satisfy, that only you um, can fill in our hearts the thing that we know we need and long for the most. So we expectantly look forward to that day when you have promised that you will come again, that we will rise with you, be in your presence forever, and that you will satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. We pray all this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.